Would you high five two people and tell them something's going to happen? Something is going to happen. If you were sleepy, you're probably woke now. <laughs> I want to start this sermonic journey by giving you a little epiphany that came to me a few weeks ago. Here in Houston, Texas, we have been having some rather interesting weather. Now, I am a native Houstonian. I lived in Houston my whole life. But what we experienced in June, first, there was this severe thunderstorm that came through on June the 8th. That storm had wind gusts of over 60 miles per hour. That storm was so bad that we couldn't even do therapy Thursday that week because the studio nor the church, we didn't have power. So the storm forced us to be in darkness. <laughs> and then if that was not enough, it happened again. On June the 21st, as some of us were leaving Bible study, you probably remember it. We were leaving Bible study. We were leaving small group, our men's group our discipleship, and as you were leaving and getting in your car, this severe thunderstorm blew through yet again, and this one was different. This one was so strong that our local chief meteorologist, who goes by the name of Travis Herzart, posted this statement on his Facebook. I want you to see what he posted. This wasn't just a typical storm. He said, okay, and as of 10 p.m., over 300,000 Centerpoint customers are without power. I'm afraid daylight is going to reveal a lot of damage. You don't know how much damage is happening in your soul in the dark. It takes for somebody to shout light. It takes for light to reveal how damaging porn really is. It takes light to reveal how damaging that addiction really is. And then he goes on to say, Bush Airport recorded a wind gust of 97 miles per hour. Houston, y'all okay? <laughs> now, just a little information for you. Wind gust at 97 miles per hour is congruent to a Category 2 hurricane. On the Sanford Simpson scale of how they register wind for the strength of hurricanes, wind that is 97 miles per hour is a category two hurricane. So technically, for a few moments, we experienced a little hurricane. And what we went through forced us to be in darkness. So now, at my house, my children are going crazy. Melody's running around screaming. Jay is running around screaming. Josiah is screaming because he wants Tanisha to feed him. So Jay's running around with a little lantern saying, here you go, mommy. And he has this funny statement. When she's breastfeeding Josiah, uh, my son says, mom, is my brother drinking you up? <laughs> so he runs with the little lantern and he's like, here you go, Josiah, you can drink up mama. <laughs> So it, it's, it's kind of chaos in the flower's home for a moment. And the lightning was something different. Y'all remember that lightning? It was just like flash, 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 flash. There was no break. And so I thought to myself, okay, power is going to come on in a few moments. 
25 minutes went by, 35 minutes went by. Once it started to get hot, <laughs> I said, I don't know when our power is going to come back on. So I opened the front door and I looked, and everybody around me was in darkness as well. Everybody I get high with is in darkness. Everybody I've done relationships with are in darkness. There is no difference between them and myself. Darkness has become normalized. But as I was looking towards the front of my neighborhood, I saw a few houses that had power. Like, what they got? A few houses had power because once you have been in darkness for long enough, you begin to wonder, how is it you're not affected by the pandemic the same way I was affected? How are you not affected with our culture the same way I've been affected? And my father gave me this warning months ago. He said, Jerry, you're going to need to get a generator. I don't need no generator. You know how it is when somebody gives us instruction. I'm good. We all right. I didn't think it was going to happen that quick. See, every time I preach, I need you to be intentional with listening because you don't know when that storm, when that trial is coming. You might think it's going to happen down the line, but it could happen in a few hours. I didn't know the storm was going to come that quick. And I'm thankful that my father and my mother, they had a generator. Because once you're in darkness, you're going to need to know people who have power. If everybody you hang with, darkness is normalized just like your condition, you're going to suffer in darkness the same way they're suffering. It's starting to get hot. My children are yelling, I have a newborn. He's only eight weeks old. We can't stay in this hot house. So we go over my father and my mother's house. I said, hey, we're going to be over here just a few moments, just until, just until our power comes back on. After two hours, three hours, once it started to get close to midnight, see, I thought the power would be back on by now. I asked my dad, I said, hey, I'm going to go check out my house. You want to ride with me? So he rise with me, and as we get closer and closer to our community, it's darkness. But there are a few houses that have some backup power. Because without backup power, you will experience the void of light. With backup power, you will avoid the loss of light. Did y'all hear me? So I started to get a little irritated. Looking at these people's houses, they have power. I'm not jealous, but I'm irritated that I did not apply my father's instruction earlier. And what irritated me the most is once I was in my father's house, the thought of going back to my dark house irritated me. Does it irritate anybody when you consider going back to the thing that God brought you out of? Does it not frustrate your spirit when your flesh is on one trying to get you to go back to places that left your mental health on life support and you prayed and you asked God, if you ever get me out of this, I'm never going to go back. And the thought that your flesh wants to take you back starts to irritate your spirit. I told my dad, I said, listen, as soon as we out of this, 
I don't care what I have to do. Whatever I have to change, whatever adjustments I need to make, whatever budget plans I need to make, I'm going to do it because I'm never going back to this place of darkness again. And I have a sneaky suspicion that there's some people under the sound of my voice who have made a righteous resolve, I'm never going back. Who am I preaching to? And so I started to do some research. If you didn't know this, the prefix gen means that which produces. Gen, G-E-N. It means that which produces. So if we say genocide, it is that which produces a killing off. That's how we have homicide, pesticide. It means killing off. Gen means that which produces. Generation means that which produces nations. Okay? Generator means that which produces, or watch this, generates power from a different source. Everything preaches to the preacher. So I want us to see this chart that I showed you last week so you can understand what it really means that there are three components of mankind. Just like God is three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, mankind is also three in one. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit, okay? So what I was trying to get us to see last week is that without Christ, we're dead. Dead men. Body alive, soul alive, spiritually dead. Now, once you accept Jesus, just because your spirit, your spirit is alive does not mean your soul no longer likes what it used to like when you did things with your body. Is this making sense? Because oftentimes we hear sermonic presentations that tell us to live right with our body, but they're never giving us strategies on how to purify our soul. So today, it's going to go a little deeper. Because one of the agendas of sexual perversion is to get for darkness to be normalized in the soul. The agenda of pornography is for darkness to get normalized in the soul. The enemy wants for there to be darkness in your soul to such a degree that when light shines on it, you call that offensive. Did y'all hear me? The enemy wants for there to be so much darkness in your soul that when you have sermonic presentations, discipleship, or community that is shining the light on that darkness, you call that offensive. <laughs> That's offensive to me. I ain't going back to that church. They toxic. <laughs> or could it be you have gotten so used to toxins, and every sermon is revealing how toxic your toxins really are. Somebody say obey. obey. So when God gives us instructions to be pure, and purity is not just not having sex, it's the resistance of defilement. When God is giving us those instructions, it's not because he wants you to miss out. It's because I'm trying to protect you. 
And there are certain things I don't want you to experience. Like unto to my daughter, Melody. She always runs outside with her shoes and socks off. And I tell her, go back in the house and put your shoes on. A few days later, guess what Melody does? She hears her friends outside. She go runs outside without socks and shoes on. I just look at her. Sorry, Daddy. Sometimes God doesn't need to say much. You know what your father told you. I feel this, y'all. Somebody, you know God already told you. This ain't me. This isn't me. So one time, Melody ran out, and she stepped on a piece of wood and got a splinter. So she's crying in the driveway. I pick her up. This is why you don't run from the father. Because if she tried to walk on her own, she would have made the splinter go deeper. So I picked her up, brought her to the house, took some tweezers, and I took the splinter out. And then after she stopped crying, we put some peroxide on it, cleaned it real good, Band-Aid. I grabbed her hand and I said, baby, why do you think your father has been telling you to put shoes on? Do you think it's I don't want you to have fun with your friends? Do you think it's I want you to miss out? Or is daddy trying to protect you? She said, daddy is trying to protect me. I said, okay. When I give you instructions, it's not for my ego. See, when God gives us instructions, it's not because you're helping him become even more holy than he is. At least I came to church. That's for you, bro. I'm already holy. Hear me, please. It's not that God has to use pain to teach us. It's just that some of us don't learn without splinters. Some of us don't learn without splinters. Can I go a little deeper? Some of us think nothing's going to happen because you haven't got stuck yet. Keep on walking barefoot. And even... The splinter, I told her, I said, that's grace, Mel. What if it would have been glass? See, sometimes we go through things out of rebellion and God sends a whale, just like a Jonah situation. But I still see grace in that because he could have sent a shark. Is there anybody thankful that God didn't allow things to chew you up but swallow you up to give you some time to think? Just think for a second. I don't need to do that again. This time I'm going to obey. The job of the enemy is he wants to normalize perversion in the soul to where when you have light shining on it, you get offended. I want us to see this foundational text. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. It has a little length to it. I really can't play hopscotch with it. I really want us to see this. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. If you do not have a tangible Bible, it will be projected for you on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. If you're ready, shout, I'm ready. ready. It says, in the course of time, Ammon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Ammon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself 
ill. Because that's what lust does. It makes you sick. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Ammon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. Please watch who you are allowing in your ear. He asked Ammon, why do you? The king's son looked so haggard morning after morning. Won't you tell me? Ammon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. Jonadab is giving Ammon counsel, which provides Ammon with splinters. Be careful the people you are calling your boy or your girl that are giving you methods to experience splinters. So Ammon laid down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Ammon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come to me and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat it from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. When I was reading this, I was like, come on, David. (laughs) Come on, you a daddy. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Ammon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Ammon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, and made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat it. Send everyone out, Ammon said, because lust likes an environment where nobody could see. So everyone left him. Then Ammon said to his sister, bring the food into my bedroom so I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she prepared and brought it to her brother Ammon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother. She said, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where can I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You will be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. She's trying to speak logic to lust. Don't do this. You're going to. Be a fool. What about me? Lust don't care about you. What about what it's going to do to you? Lust doesn't care what it does to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Ammon hated her. What? Then Ammon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Ammon said to her, get up and get out. Does this sound familiar to what the brother did to you after he had his orgasm? Get an Uber. I ain't driving back over there. You can't stay in my place. The spirit of Ammon still exists on today. And don't sleep. It's not just the brothers that do this. Some sisters are trifling, good for... Okay. 
get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away will be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, look at the language, get this woman, not your sister, not the one you loved, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. Our verses of importance, our clauses of concern that are going to serve us as we leap into this conversation of Bedroom Confessions Part 2 is first, verse 1, where the text tells us, In the course of time, Ammon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar. Then verse 14, where the text tells us, But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than her, he raped her. And lastly, verse 15, he hated her with intense hatred. How do you go from claiming that you love her, Ammon? She's so beautiful to you that it's making you sick. You love her so much. And anybody who listened to part one of Bedroom Confessions, we could see that Ammon is demonstrating Proverbs 7 definition of love, which is really lust. It does not coincide with Jesus' definition of love in John chapter 15, verse 13, where Jesus told us, No greater love has anyone than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus' definition of love is all about sacrifice. Proverbs 7 and Ammon's definition of love is all about selfishness. What can I get? What can I gain? How will it make me feel? How will it benefit me? I need a high value man. I need a high value woman who can take care of me. It's all about self. When we cannot discern and when we cannot differentiate between lust and love, we'll be forced to be enrolled in seasons of recovery. Hear me, when we cannot discern the difference between lust and love, we will be forced and we will place ourselves in environments with people who traffic in emotional vandalism. How do you go from claiming that you love her, Ammon? She's in the room just trying to help you. I want to give you like some visual aid. She's sitting there stirring up the dough while you're stirring up a divisive plan in your mind. She is there trying to serve you, to help you, to cure you. Okay, all right. I need all of my sisters in the house, overflow and online. I need you to please hear me. I'm going to deal with this more at the Woman Behold, Conf Woman Behold Conference in Atlanta. Stop trying to cure sick men. Brothers, us too, every man in the house and the overflow and watching online, stop trying to cure sick women. Your body will not cure him, ma'am. Your body will not cure her, sir. Your curves, as nice as they are, and you working out in the gym, you trying to get all types of shape. No matter how nice your curves are, they will not cure him, sis. 
no matter how built and how solid you are, you can have an eight-pack, bruh. Your body is not going to cure them. No matter your affirmation words that you keep on speaking to him, your affirmation that you keep on speaking to her, that is not going to cure them. Sex will not cure them. You cannot lead anybody to the master from a mattress. Speak Holy Spirit. You cannot lead anybody to the master from a mattress. Stop trying to cure sick people because watch this. Cold hearts can be contagious. And when you are intentionally placing yourself in relational context with sick people, you are raising the probability that you will become emotionally congested. It's the mucus of pain, the mucus of deceit, the mucus of being betrayed, the mucus of falling for somebody who had no intentions of catching you. It's the mucus of not being able to discern lust from love. I'm not saying that they are eternally evil. They might change, but that's not your job. I'm not saying that they are eternally evil, but I am saying if you kissing on them, you're going to catch a cold. This, this, this text is showing us that just because they want you, that does not mean they value you. Talk. He wanted her, but he didn't value her. This is a sign of a user. I was trying to get us to understand this on Therapy Thursday. Users. The sign of a user is when your giving is preyed upon and expected. Versus appreciated and valued. Did y'all hear me? The sign of a person who uses things is when you're giving that's preyed upon and expected. Versus appreciated and valued. Simply put, when feelings are congruent, effort will be too. When feelings are congruent, reciprocity will be too. When feelings are congruent, love will be too. Hear me. You will always, it doesn't matter how good of a man or how good of a woman you think you are. You will always experience heartbreak when you are trying to cure what only a Jesus encounter can. Did y'all hear me, man? That's Jesus' job, not yours. Jesus saves people, not you. Jesus changes people, not you. And enough with being a missionary dater. Where you're trying to say, I don't have time, I don't. I got to keep going. See, this is, this is a mismanagement of effort. What do I mean by that? You are expounding all of your effort and energy on what was never yours. You are expounding all of your effort and energy on what was never God's will. Or, in this text, you're expounding effort and energy on a trap. This is so good, y'all. On, on a trap. How do you go, Ammon, from I love Tamar to grabbing her, pulling her, raping her, and then hating her? That part was really like during study. How did you go from love in one verse? It was kind of quick. 
You ever seen somebody interested and they lost it quick? <laughs> How do you go from love to hate, which is really lust to hate quick? It's because the spirit of lust always causes for you to misplace hate. I got to teach today, y'all. The spirit of lust causes for you to misplace hate. You hate what you just did. And you're projecting that on the person you did it with. You hate the consequence of your choices. This is why after you watched the porn, you threw the phone. This is why after you watched it, you slammed down the laptop. This is why you threw the iPad. Y'all don't want to talk to me. It's because the spirit of lust causes for you to misplace hate. Instead of you hating sin, you hate Tamar. That hatred is supposed to be used for Tamar. How do you go from saying you love her to grabbing her, pulling her, raping her, then hating her? I have a question. I wonder if there's anybody in this sacred space, sacred space on this afternoon that something is grabbing you and pulling you due to a bedroom encounter you experienced. Still to this day, you could be 35 and it happened when you were six. There's something still grabbing you and pulling you due to what happened in a bedroom. Which one do you identify with more? Are you more like Tamar, where perversion was forced on you from molestation, sensual music and movies in the house? Your parents didn't tell you anything about sex, but they allowed you to watch Jason's lyric and Brown Sugar. And, and see, y'all don't want to talk to me. Was it forced upon you, or did you catch a sibling or a parent watching BET Uncut? Watching Eyes Wide Shut. It's got to get real in here today. I told you. The enemy wants darkness to take resonance in the soul and for it to be normalized. And it gets offensive when the light is on it. I'm shining the light all on it today. Are you more like Tamar? This was forced on me. Or are you more like Ammon? You're trying to pull people to your bedroom. Each, see, there's a holy hush. I know I'm on it. Each DM you sin is an Ammon-type motive to pull her. When I was in high school and we used to get girls, we called pulling their number. Remember that? I pulled her, right? That spirit of Ammon was existing way back then. I'm trying to pull somebody in a bedroom. Or, or are you more like David? Your children are dealing with what dealt with you. See, because we always go from David immediately to Solomon because he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. But we miss that Ammon is a son of David too. And David had Ammon type of behavior because when he was supposed to be at battle, he was on the roof looking at Bathsheba butt naked. And he called for his servants to take her to his palace. They said she's married to Uriah. He didn't care. He still slept with her. After she got pregnant, he tried to get Uriah drunk so that Uriah could think the baby is really his. But Uriah was a righteous man and said, how could I have sex with my wife when my men are still at battle? And so David made it to where Uriah got on the front line and got killed. So really, Ammon is having David type of... 
The Bible is so good if we just exegete it and study. Are you dealing with the spirit of your father? Your father did the same thing. But in our house, what goes on in this house stays in this house. I wonder how many sons will be free if daddy say, hey, let me tell you about this time. Let me tell you what I learned from it. And I had a prophet called Nathan come and tell me that the sword will never leave my house. Let me tell you about the consequences of taking stuff that's not yours. What would happen if we had more parents that talked about their scars versus just telling you, keep your legs closed, baby? Explain why. See, can I go a little deeper? Spirits never hit a person for that person. They always hit that person for their seed. In the spirit realm, we have a natural realm and a spirit realm. Every assault or every assignment is given with generations in mind. Is this making sense? When the enemy assaults you, it's not just about you. It's about everybody you're connected to and everybody coming behind you. When God gives you an assignment, it's not about, I don't think I'm good enough, and I'm not smart enough, and I don't have a degree in this area. This is for people who have been crying out for deliverance. Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This is not about your ability. It's about your obedience. So, with that being said, hear me. The enemy never attacks to cause wrinkles. He attacks to cause ripples. See, a wrinkle is something you can iron out. A ripple is something that's very hard to stop. This is something granddaddy dealt with and, and grandma never dealt with and Mama never dealt with it. Nobody talked about it. And auntie never dealt with And uncle never. See, this is why, hear me, it's dangerous for you to be a runner. Because when you run from your assignment. So good, y'all. When you run from your assignments, you are leaving your uncircumcised Philistine for the people coming behind you. So powerful, y'all. And a lot of us on today are dealing with our ancestors, Goliath. You're not laying down just exchanging body heat. You're passing down a Goliath. You're passing down a Goliath. So when God tells us to be pure, it's because of warfare that you can stop. This is so powerful, y'all. So let's, let's, let's say this confession as we continue, Bedroom confession, Confessions Part 2. Can I get everybody to say this? My God. And everybody watching online, put this in the room in all caps. Everybody say, my God, my God. Breaks, chains, breaks chains, not promises. Not promises. I'm, free I'm free and free indeed. And free indeed. One more time. My God, my God. Breaks, chains, breaks chains, not promises. Not promises. I'm free. And free, and free indeed. 
Does anybody believe and receive that? Today, we are continuing the conversation that time expired on us last week. We have to have a sequel when it comes to this conversation. And the reason I believe the Holy Spirit has us dealing with this double time and double teaming it is because, number one, I need you to fully understand that your ability to discern lust from love is an investment in your soul care. It's an investment in your soul care because the condition of your heart and the quality of your soul affects too many people. So deal with this twice so that we're able to discern. The second reason I believe the Holy Spirit has us dealing with this is because God genuinely, please hear my heart, God genuinely desires for his children to be Free. There is a different type of depression that hits you when you're trying to do kingdom work while wearing devil chains. God, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit all on this word. God genuinely desires for his people to be free. Somebody shout freedom. freedom. In other words, God is saying, I don't want my children bound by a chain that I already broke. I don't want my son wearing a chain that I already broke. I don't want my daughter wearing a chain that I already broke. I don't want them to live on a plantation when I've set them free. God desires for his children to experience freedom. I want you to have a stubbornness in your spirit when you think about going back. If I could just get like five or six people that have made a righteous resolve, I have a I'm never going back in my spirit. I'm never going back. Any bedroom that does not have a covenant that I'm in, I'm never going back. I'm never going back to the vomit of settling because I viewed my first option as my only option. I'm never going back. I'm never going back to entertaining what left my spiritual and mental health on life support. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I'm never going back to depending on substances. I'm never going back. I'm never going back to an alcoholic beverage to try to find peace. I'm never going back. I'm not made for the streets. I'm made to complete. Talk, Lord. I'm not made for the streets. I'm made to complete each and every assignment that God has placed on my life. The calling that I'm ordained to fulfill, that's what I'm going to complete. I'm not made for the streets. I'm made to defeat. Every cycle that has affected my bloodline, every stronghold that has affected my ancestors, I am not made for the streets. I am made to defeat. I'm never going back. See, some of y'all don't get it. Some of y'all don't get it. Maybe you're still there. See, at midnight, Paul and Silas were giving praise and worship to God, and the text says that everybody's chains fell off. 
because sometimes your praise is personal. Other times your praise is communal. My praise will cause for something to break off of you that you don't even know that you have been battling for years. I'm never going back. I desire freedom. Why do you think the warfare has been so intense in this season? It's because you finally have the right perspective. You finally have the right desire. You finally have the right hunger. You finally have the right focus. You're finally in the right community. You're finally in the right church. And the enemy's attacking so hard because my freedom desire is making hell nervous. Somebody shout, I'm never going back. You can sit there and act cute if you want to. And that's okay. Sometimes it's personal. Other times it's communal. You're going to get free just because you're on my road. <laughs> this is so good, y'all. Never going back. God is blowing different on this series, y'all. Freedom. So now, sit down, y'all rushing me. Freedom. So here, here's the thing I want us to understand. The reason God wants us to experience freedom is because the only reason you're called out of a thing is because you're called to a thing. You don't put the same size leash on a Yorkie as a Great Dane. The Yorkie get free, I might, watch out, get your dog, bruh. <laughs> a Great Dane get, I'm gone. And maybe the enemy has been trying to put chains on you at such a young age. Because if you ever get free, freedom, freedom is, is God calling you out because of what you're called to. Your future needs a free version of you. Your calling needs a free version of you. Yes, who the Son has set free is free indeed. However, transformation and renewal, oh, that's a strategy. See, that, that's a strategy. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it like this. A familiar passage of scripture. We've probably heard it before, but I want us to see it a little different. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How, Paul? By the renewing of your mind. Okay, okay. Now, um, Carl, if you could put the chart back up. We're going to come back and read this in a second. I want you to put the chart back up really quickly, okay, so you guys can understand this. So Paul is saying, everything around your body, don't conform to that. Everything in culture, don't conform to that. You need to be renewed in your mind. What is that? That's the soul. The psychological part of you that houses your mind, your will, imaginations, reasons, and desires. He's saying, okay. For you to have a transformed life, you have to have a detoxed soul. The reason we conform so easy in our body is because our soul has not been transformed. You know what I wish I would have heard a preacher tell me? When I was in college and I kept coming up to every altar call because I felt as though I wasn't saved. You ever feel like, I got saved by so many times, y'all. 
Except for, I said it so many times. I came up so many. I wish a preacher would have told me, being renewed and withdrawals feel just alike. Withdrawals, that's your body and your heart's way of raging. Once your pattern has changed, your spirit has been made alive, and the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to detox in your soul so he can upload biblical truths in your soul, and you can manifest that in your body. Before you have been made alive, your body and your soul have been running management. Just because you accept Christ does not mean your soul has been detoxed. All it means is your spirit is saved. Gosh, that would have freed me. Being renewed feels just like withdrawals. So you're telling me you pumped filth in your soul 30 years. And you think in two weeks. I'm trying to help us. Because some of us feel so defeated. What's wrong with me? When you only hear who the Son has set free is free indeed, but you're not giving biblical strategies on how to renew and transform your mind, simply put, a freedom declaration without freedom in my reality leads to hopelessness, which is why some of us have hit this place. What's the point? I'm just a bad man. I'm just made for these streets. That's just, it's because there has not been enough biblical teaching to let you understand, all right, you're saved. You accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your spirit is alive. Discipleship is for your soul. Community, all those I don't do people. Okay, when you don't do people, you are removing yourself from generators. I have to put myself around people who have power. I have to put myself around people who have light. I'm trying to help us, y'all. What we need is biblical strategies so that we could understand, yes, once I accept Jesus, I am saved. But how do I detox from everything before Christ? Y'all should see y'all face, y'all. So I posted this, this post on Friday. I did like a little case study. I did a case study. And I said, um, this was Friday at 520. I said, question family, I'm trying to see something. Did you have parents or caregivers that talked to you about sex in depth before you were exposed to pornography or any form of sexuality, rather in music, movies, etc.? There were over 2,000 comments, 2,300 comments, with a resounding no. So I did a little math this morning. About 50 said yes. 2,300 said no. That means 2.1% were taught the kingdom agenda, which is clear because look at our world. Only about 2%. You ain't to marriage? No, I ain't. Why? Because that's the 98% that wasn't taught. (laughs) 2.1% of 
2%, just from my little case study that I just did this weekend, 2% were taught God's way first. Now, there is something called a law of first, of first mention. That simply means whoever mentions it or gets to you first controls the narrative. So, before I go to this scripture in Genesis, Carl, I want them to see this chart of how it looks for us. So, God's way didn't get to us first. God's way didn't get to us first. Perversion did. So, look. God's way did not get to us first. Perversion did. Keep going. Music did. Keep going. Movies did. Keep going. School did. Somebody posted, all I got was sex education. That's it. Porn did. Keep going. Experience did. I mean, you tried it. And guess who's last? God. So when it comes to sex, his way is last. Perversion got to you first. Music got to you first. Movies got to you first. School got to you first. Porn got to you first. Your experiences got to you first. Look how much unlearning we have to do to get it God's way. Are y'all seeing this? So the law of first mention, this is how I would do it. When was it first mentioned? I'm glad you asked. Genesis 1, verse 28, right in the first book of the Bible. Where do we see anything that has to do with sex? Genesis 1, 28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. You can't be fruitful and multiply without having sex. All this clone stuff, that's not God's agenda. Okay? So now it's like, okay, God's first mention of sex was in Genesis. All right, what was their relationship status? All right, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called womb man because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they both were naked, the man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. So first mention, God's telling you. So the first time sex was mentioned is when God said, y'all have sex. Hallelujah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> y'all have sex. Not with just anybody, but with your wife. So the original kingdom agenda is for us to be joined to one, not many. Mess you up even, even, even further. God's original kingdom agenda was for you to be virgins. Forget what culture tells you. Do not be conformed to this world. Culture, I need somebody experienced. I need somebody who knows how to work it. God's original design was for sex to be a discovery, not an exhibit. Both of us are not supposed to know what we like or what we're doing. And we're supposed to learn. Oh, you like that? I'm going to do that again. You like that? I'm going to do You should not say do it like this because I like this and I like it like this. You have been trained how to please yourself versus learning how to please each other. 
This is why in marriage, certain men can't get erections because you have been trained by perversion how to be satisfied. Ladies, too, your bullet has trained you how to be satisfied in perversion. Your man is throwing his back out, trying to compete with the machine, and he was never ordained. Y'all better come get me. All right. All right. All right. Can I go a little deeper? All right. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4. It says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Okay. So God's agenda is, and this is not talking about the agape love. Loving each other like Christ. This is more of your, it's a Greek word, eros, love, which we get the word erotic. It's the romantic, sensual type of love that you're supposed to have for your spouse. Okay? God's saying, don't wake that up until you are mature. But remember that chart showed us perversion, music, movies, woke it up before you were. Don't see this. Before you ever could understand God's original agenda. These were some of the comments that people left on here. I just want you all to see these comments. Let me give you some points and we're done. Is this good? Amen. So so, some of the comments were, um, first person response, no, it was taboo in my house. We never talked about it. Still to this day, and I'm 35. Somebody else, no, everything I learned I learned from these streets. (laughs) I didn't put the at on purpose. Uh, No music videos and friends got to me first. Somebody else responds, no, I was molested by my uncle. I didn't know what was going on at the time, but later once I realized it, it messed me up. No, I was just told, keep my legs closed. No, my mom just told me, don't get pregnant, and gave me birth control pills. No, the pastor told me I'm going to hell if I do it. That one, I was like, how are you going to go to hell for doing? Okay, you got to understand this. God created sex for marriage. So you're going to go to hell for desiring a God gift? The hell thing is, if I disobey God, reject salvation, and I want to unwrap the gift as a lifestyle practice outside of covenant. Outside of covenant. It's a blessing in covenant. And God made it for covenant. Hell is for people who don't want God and don't want his ways and don't want his teaching. God would not be a loving God for you to live your life and say, I don't want God. And then when you die, he said, you're going to spend eternity with me. That's forcing you. If you don't want me, I will respect your decision. I got to preach this right, y'all. Last one. No sex ed in fifth grade and physical health is all I got. No wonder this is one of the most prominent issues in generation after generation, because we're not teaching it God's way. First strategy, the first teacher matters. I want to show these, give you these strategies, and we're done. 
Strategy number one is the strategy of exposure. You have to be exposed to God's way. That's all I'm doing on today is exposing you to God's way. Because when you're exposed to God's way, now you have multiple choice. Some of us, all you have is C. When you're horny, you circle C. When you're aroused, you circle C. Wisdom gives you A, you don't have to do that. B, go to discipleship and get an accountability partner. D, download an app called Covenant Eyes and share it with the partner so that anytime you go to a website, it will inform them what website you went to. So that they, it's an actual app called Covenant Eyes. So when you go to a website, whoever's your accountability partner will know that you went to that site and you'll get a text as soon as you go to whatever hub you went to. <laughs> you want to be free, right? Let's put some light on it. <laughs> strategy of exposure. Number two, the strategy of unlearning. Okay? The genesis of discipleship is to unlearn what you have learned. Which is why Jesus kept on saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He's trying to get people to understand you learned it the wrong way. If you don't unlearn Saul, you can never become Paul. The strategy of unlearning. I did a whole message called I Learned It the Wrong Way. I broke that down. You can YouTube it and watch that message. I don't have time to break that part down. Number three, the strategy of serving. I was talking to my sister Courtney about this. Um, Carl, could you put the chart up really quick? The strategy of serving. The reason I want us to understand that this is a strategy is because many times you heal as you go. Not the peers chart, bro. Um, the, the body, soul, and the spirit chart. I want us to understand this. The strategy of serving. Okay, so... Your spirit has been made alive. Your soul is jacked up. Right? Nobody said nothing. Okay. All right. Your soul is in darkness. So what the enemy will tell you is you're not worthy to serve because of this. Because he knows as you serve, you will be cleansed. When I was a student pastor, I was not not going to the club because I love Jesus. I'm just being honest. It was because I had to lead Bible study tomorrow. What I look like, telling a whole bunch of teenagers, man, love God, but I'm in the club. Hey, what's up? What's up, Sean? What I look like. Sometimes people don't serve because you don't want to be convicted that you're living a double life. And when you serve, parking lot, what you need, what, it is causing for you to place yourself in an accountability circle. I don't want nobody in my business, okay? Accountability is not a pacifier. It's a purifier. As you go, sometimes God uses serving to save you. You know you got to lead worship. You know you got to lead worship. There have been times I'm driving to the church, somebody cut me off, something right, they could be coming to the church. <laughs> I'm just being transparent. 
Number four, a strategy of ways to cope. Ways to cope that aren't sinful. I'll touch that more next Sunday. And lastly, a strategy of kingdom reinforcement. These are strategies to help with the soul detox. Strategy of kingdom reinforcement. My sister said, every time the church doors are open, I need to be here. I don't trust me with my time yet. What y'all got going on? I need to be around as much kingdom as I can because there's a lot of stuff in my soul that I'm trying to get out. Was this good for somebody? God desires for us to experience freedom. Father, would you help this word digest in our hearts? It might even be a textbook for many of us who have not learned it the right way. Help us to go back and consider your way because there's so many things that we have to unlearn. Sunday is not enough. Give us the conviction to surround ourselves with generators so that the area in our life that are dark, you can shine light on. And Father, thank you for removing every, every splinter that we did to ourselves for not following your decrees and your commands. I thank you, God, that this is not a message of condemnation but this is a message to remind us of your original kingdom agenda. And for the rest of our lives, we will strive to get as close as we can to the kingdom agenda. And lastly, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that convicts, that teaches us, and counsels us. The Holy Spirit is not a it. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen. Give us ears to listen to your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I pray this blessed you on today. I just want to um, rather quickly offer you salvation. If you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to say this prayer with me, and then there's going to be a number for you to text. Last week was a peak. We hit over a thousand. So, whoa, a peak. So, yes, we're local, but we're also global. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, could you just say this prayer with me? God, save me. I throw in the white towel. I'm done. We're living life my way. You promised me if I confess with my mouth, and believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the grave, I'll be saved. I believe that. Now, detox my soul. Transform my life and renew my mind. 